not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Hey, welcome to First Church. So good to see everybody. If you're new, my name's Chad. In addition to everybody that we have here on site, we also have a bunch of people worshiping online, like the Renner family, who's here in Owasso, as well as Suzanne from Virginia, and we've got Jacob, who's in Branson, and all sorts of people from all over the globe. So if you would, put your hands together, get loud, welcome in our online family here today. Some of you guys have already asked, am I okay? And I know why you're asking. <laughs> I am. I'm okay. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, my Kentucky Wildcats were upset the other night in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And yes, uh, I've been depressed for about two days, but I will get over it. Uh, however... There is a little boy in our church named Hunter. Uh, he's in our early childhood ministry, and he's just, uh, he's, he's an awesome little kid. He really is a lot of fun, big personality. And for Christmas, he gave me some UK socks. And he said he wanted me to wear them uh, from the pulpit. And I was just like, I don't know about that. I said, I'll tell you what, if UK makes it to the final four, I will wear those socks. And he was just like, all right. Well, like every week he comes up to me, I'm praying for Kentucky to make it to the final four. And so I knew that Hunter was going to be really disappointed. So in honor of Hunter, are you ready? Here we go. We're not going to make it to the final four, but there are my UK socks. Are you ready? Yeah. And what you guys don't realize is I just got you to clap for UK. So, okay, here we go. All right, well, we are in the last week of our series, Uncharted Territory. We've been looking at the ministry and the life of Joshua from the Old Testament, and hopefully this has been a series where God's been working on your heart like he's been working on mine, because that theme of uncharted territory definitely describes the situation that we're in right now as a culture. And I believe it's important for us to look back at examples like this in Scripture where God led his people through uncertain times, through the unknown, because God is not surprised by uncharted territory like we are. God is bigger than any uncertainty we may face. He is over it, and he knows how to get us through it. And here's the thing. As you study, as, as you study throughout the Bible, God working through his people, what you discover is God does some of his most amazing work work during uncertain times. And I think we need to be reminded of promises like the one we find in the book of Joshua when it says this. It says in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God promises to be with his people wherever we go, even when we're facing uncharted territory, even when we're facing uncertainty, even when we're facing the unknown. God promises to be with us wherever we go. But here's the thing. That command to be strong and courageous, it is a command. 
It's in the imperative. What that means is courage is always a choice. God promises to be with us. He promises to do amazing things if we will be strong and courageous. But it's a choice whether or not we have courageous faith. See, God says, just trust me, put your confidence in me, and I'll get you through this. No wall will be too big for you to get through. No giant will be too mighty for you to defeat. I will be with you. But the challenge is, are we willing to have the type of courage that God is asking us to have? See, Joshua's generation, they had to ask that question as well. And they had courageous faith. They were able to accomplish what generations before them were unable to accomplish. They were able to become the dominant power in the promised land, the land of Canaan. And by chapter 12, we see that the Israelites have taken over so much of the land that now they are just that, the dominant power in this area. And their ancestors, the generation that came before them, the generation that Moses led, they were unable to do that. Moses brought the people all the way to the brink of the promised land, and they were afraid to go in. But Joshua's generation, they had courageous faith. They trusted God. They put their confidence in him. But here's the thing. Even though the first part of the book of Joshua was all about the people taking the land, that took a lot of courage, and it was a great challenge. I think Joshua knows his greatest challenge comes next. And that's what the last half of the book of Joshua is all about. See, Joshua learns and he knows that getting motivated is a challenge But staying motivated is an even bigger one. See, getting yourself motivated to do what's right, that's a challenge. But staying motivated over time, that's a bigger challenge. Getting people motivated, that's a challenge. But getting people to stay, remain motivated over time, for the long haul, that's an even bigger challenge. A few weeks ago, I asked Nathan Stang, one of our children's ministers, to come up on stage with me during the sermon, if you guys will remember, and I asked him to juggle on stage, and he kind of messed up a little bit when we gave him four tennis balls. He did it with three, fine, we gave him four, and he messed up. You guys laughed, and we gave him a hard time, but his wife was a little bit, I guess, upset that he didn't represent their family better, and so she decided... Calissa, she decided that she was going to learn how to juggle herself. And so she's been practicing, and she asked him to make a video, and he sent it to me. Here she is juggling herself. Are you ready? Whenever you're ready. (laughs) Good job. Now, yeah, give it up for Calissa, yeah. Now, grocery sacks are not the same as tennis balls. I get that. But I've been told that that's how you learn to juggle because juggling takes practice. It's not something you just pick up overnight. And so as you learn to juggle, you start with something like grocery sacks, and then you eventually move on to something else and something else. And I remember when I asked Nathan to juggle on stage, he was just like, oh, I'm a little bit rusty. I haven't done it for a while. Because when you don't practice it, guess what? You get that way, and you forget how to do it. And that's true about so much in life. I remember when I was in high school, I took four semesters of Spanish. And by the end of my four semesters, I wasn't fluent in Spanish. 
Spanish, but I could have a decent conversation. I could communicate with somebody who spoke Spanish. And now, years later, can I do that? No, because I haven't used it since high school. I mean, I can still say a few words like hola and stuff like that, but I can't have a conversation with somebody because if you don't use it, then over time you will lose it. We've all heard that before. I coach my kids in soccer. I coach my son's team and also my daughter's team. And my son's team, a few years ago, there was one of the players on his team that came up to me midway through the season, and he was like, hey, Coach Chad, I want to score a goal, because other people were scoring, and he hadn't yet. And I was just like, okay. And he said, what do I need to do? I said, well, one thing, make sure you're paying attention to practice, because this kid was always distracted, you know. Make sure you're paying attention to practice, you're working hard, and when you get home, practice there too. Don't just wait till our practices, but when you're home, get with your siblings or neighbors, whoever, and practice, and really stay focused during your game. And I'm giving him all these pointers, and he stopped me, and he said, coach, I don't want to do all that. I just want to score a goal. And that was his mindset. I don't want to practice. I don't want to work at it. I just want to score a goal, but we know that in order to develop a skill, it takes practice. You've got to use it, or eventually over time, you will lose it. And probably one of the best illustrations I can think of when it comes to that is also comes from when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I played sports, and I wanted to build more muscle, so I actually went to a personal trainer at a local gym to help me build up some muscle and get in better shape. My personal trainer's name was Pete, and Pete was awesome. At least later, I thought he was awesome. At first, I hated him because he really worked me hard. And I remember after the first few weeks of going to see Pete, like I was really sore so much. So I remember one time driving home after one of our workouts, and I could barely even turn my steering wheel. I mean, I was so sore and so tired after that workout. But over time, using those muscles that I didn't even know I had, I learned how to develop them, and I started to have muscles, like I said, that I didn't have before, and I became a lot stronger, and I was in the best shape of my life. Now, it's probably hard for some of you guys to believe looking at me today, but I didn't keep that up over time, okay? Eventually, I stopped working out, and when you stop working out, guess what? You lose those muscles. In fact, just the other night, Alice and I, we were watching TV, and there was this guy on there. He's like a you know, Hollywood heartthrob. All the ladies like him, and he's pretty muscular, and I turned to Alice, and I was just like, hey, do you wish that I looked more like him? And she looked back at me and she said, you know, I've never really been attracted to guys who look like that. And I'm not sure how to take that, honestly. I mean, was that an insult or a compliment? I don't know exactly, but I guess I just should be grateful she's with me, right? But here's the thing. Faith is very much like a muscle. It gets stronger the more we use it. And the opposite of that is also true. The less we use it, the weaker our faith gets. See, for us to have strong faith, we've got to be intentional about it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, remain strong in the faith. Now notice again, that word remain is a command. It's in the imperative. It's a choice that we make. We choose whether or not we're going to remain strong in the faith. And that's why I said we have to be intentional about strengthening our faith. See, here's the thing. When I graduated high school, my parents had some home workout equipment, you know, to where I could lift weights and do some exercises. And I remember thinking, I don't need a personal trainer anymore. You know, I can do this on my own. I know what to do now. 
And so I told myself I was going to, that summer before I went to college, work out. And then once I uh, went to college, they had a gym on campus that the students could use. And I was going to stay in shape. And guess how long that lasted? Like a day maybe, you know? I stopped doing it. Now here's the thing. All the equipment was there for me to use. All the resources I needed were right in front of me. My parents had a weightlifting set in their basement that I could have used at any time. When I went to college, there were weights and exercise equipment that I could use at any time. But I didn't. Because I got distracted, I got busy, I had other interests, you name it. I wasn't focused. I did what I wanted to do and I lost everything that I had worked so hard for. And I'm afraid that this oftentimes represents our spiritual lives. God wants so much more for us, but we get distracted. We get caught up doing other things. We're focused on the wrong stuff. We're not intentional about developing our relationship with him. And over time, we're doing our own thing, and we, don't, we haven't realized how weak our faith has actually become. See, when we don't intentionally and persistently choose God, we will by default live for what's trivial. You ever done that? You ever made that mistake? I have. When you don't intentionally choose God, you may not wake up one morning and say, you know, I just want to be weak spiritually today. I mean, you may not wake up and ever say that, just like I didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to lose all my muscle. That's, I never said that. But when I didn't intentionally, purposefully choose it, that's what happened over time. And that's what happens in our spiritual lives as well. When we don't intentionally choose God every single day, we will by default live for what's trivial. And Joshua knew that the Israelites, his people, had made that mistake before. Remember, that made, they made that mistake back during the days of Moses, the generation before Joshua, when they got all the way to the promised land but then wanted to turn back. And think about it. Moses' generation, think about everything that they had experienced. I mean, this was the generation that God had rescued from their slavery in Egypt. They had seen the plagues in Egypt that God had sent. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen manna from heaven. They had experienced water from a rock. They saw God's presence on Mount Sinai. I mean, they were led through the wilderness with a cloud by day and pillar of fire at night. This was a generation that saw God work in amazing ways over and over and over and over again. And you would think when they got to the edge of the promised land, ready to go in and take it, this would be the most excited, most enthused, most grateful people that have ever existed on the face of the planet, ready to do whatever God says. But they weren't. Instead, when they scattered out the land and saw all the obstacles that were before them, this is what they said. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? We're going to be killed by swords. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt where we were slaves? We should choose another leader. We should go back to Egypt. Joshua knew their history. Joshua knew that the greatest threat to our mission isn't competency, but it's complacency. Being complacent. We have a tendency sometimes to settle for what's comfortable. And I wonder right now, are you winning the battle between courage and comfort? Because there's an ongoing battle going on right now in your life to where you have to choose comfort or courage. And I wonder which one you're choosing right now. I wonder if you're losing or winning this battle between comfort and courage. And Joshua didn't want his people, after he was dead and gone, to come all this way to then revert back to their former way of life 
go back on everything God had given them. And so before Joshua dies, he's an old man now. He stands before the people, and in Joshua 24, verse 1, it says this, As Joshua gathered all Israel's tribes together at Shechem, he sent for the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel. They came and stood there in the sight of God. So he brings all these people, and he says, Now today, in the presence of Almighty God, I want to tell you something. This is important. I want to issue you a challenge. I want to issue you a wake-up call. Because Joshua has an important message he wants to share. And what he wants to tell the people is, yeah, you've been courageous. But are you going to stay courageous? Because there is a difference. Sometimes one of the biggest obstacles to finishing well is a great start. Because you focus on the great start and think, look at all that we've done. And then you settle where you are. And so Joshua issues this challenge to the people. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, Joshua says, in my household, my family, we will serve the Lord. In other words, what Joshua here is saying is God hasn't brought us this far for us to turn back to our old way of life now. God hasn't brought us this far to stop where we are now. God still has big plans for us. God still has things he wants to achieve through us. And in Joshua's context, what he's talking about is there was still more land for them to conquer. Yes, they were the dominant power in Canaan right now, but there was still a whole lot more land God had promised to them. There was still more land for them to conquer. There were more victories to be won. There were more miracles to be experienced. There was more that God wanted to do. God wasn't finished with them yet but the question is would they have the courage to continue on because now that they're the dominant power in this little part of Canaan it would be easy to just settle for what they already have and that's why Joshua says choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve choose today now while things are good who you will serve don't wait till tomorrow Don't wait till you're up against another obstacle. You're facing another giant or another wall. Don't wait till the day of trouble because if you wait till then, you might make the wrong decision. Choose now while things are good. We have a clear mind, clear head. Choose now who you will serve. And you got to choose because to not choose is to make a choice. There's no room for neutrality when it comes to the kingdom of God. You're either for God or you're against him. So to not choose today, to not make the intentional choice today, is to go against God. You need to choose today. Because if you don't make the right choice today, then you will be in danger of wasting all of your time, energy, resources, whatever, on stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. And you will end up settling for a life that is far less And what God has planned for you. Joshua is saying, as for me and my family, I'm never going back. I'm not going back to that old way of life. I know what it's like to live 
wandering in the desert, just walking around in circles with no purpose. I've heard the stories of our grandparents back in Egypt and what they went through. I don't want to live that life as a slave anymore. I don't want to live a life without God. I've seen how the peoples in Canaan live who don't know God. I don't want to go back. You guys do whatever you want to do, but as for me and my household, we're not going back. And Joshua wants for the people of Israel to have a I'm not going back moment here. Joshua knows that everywhere they've been, as they've taken over the land of Canaan, there have been false gods everywhere. Just like there are false gods today, maybe not little statues, but there are false gods all around us that are competing for our attention today, that want us to worship them and bow down at their altar. And Joshua says, we're going to keep facing distractions. We're going to keep going up against false gods. And you've got to decide today whether or not God is your God. It's kind of like how I tell young couples who are dating. You've got to decide right now whether or not you're going to keep yourself sexually pure. Because if you wait till you're in a car alone to make that decision, you're probably going to make the wrong decision. If you wait until buttons start being unbuttoned, you're going to make the wrong decision. You've got to decide now, make a commitment now to God that you're going to do what he's asking you to do. Same thing when it comes to businessmen and women. I know everybody else is cutting corners. Everybody else is doing shady stuff. But you've got to decide now whether or not you're going to do that stuff, who your God really is. Because if you wait until the temptation is right in front of you, you might not make the right decision. For those of you who are married, you've got to decide every morning when you walk out of your house whether or not you're going to be devoted to your spouse or not. Because if you're waiting until that coworker is flirting with you, it might be too late. You've got to decide now if you're going to do the right thing, if you're going to do what God wants you to do. And so what Joshua here is saying is, my family, we're going to be diligent and persistent, steadfast, We're going to go where God wants us to go. And Joshua's attitude kind of reminds me of this video I saw not too long ago of these friends that were making a trip and their windshield wipers didn't work, but they decided to go anyway. And look at what they did. (laughs) They see me rolling. They You know, that's a I am moving ahead attitude, isn't it? I'm not going to let anything stop me. The bumps along the way, they're not going to stop me. I'm just going to find a way and keep going. And I think that's where Joshua was. Hey, we're still going to face obstacles. We're still going to face giants. We're still going to have some bumps along the way. But it doesn't matter. I know that wherever God wants me to go, I'm going to go. I'm making that decision today. You see, choosing to live by faith It isn't a one-time decision, but a decision you have to make every day. See, sometimes we think, okay, when I accept Jesus and I'm baptized, that's my decision to live by faith. Well, that's your initial decision. But that's an ongoing decision you have to make every single day. of Whether or not you're going to live by faith or if you're going to live by fear, fear of this world. And here's the thing. This is a personal choice. Did you notice the language again that Joshua uses? Joshua says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Nobody can make this decision for you. You've got to choose it. You can't inherit faith from somebody else. 
You've got to decide who you are going to follow. And I love how the people respond. The people respond by saying, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Do you get what the people are saying? We know what it's like to live without God. We're not going back there either, Joshua. And Joshua, if you read on, he goes on to ask them multiple different times. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because I'm not sure if, I, if you mean it or not. And they keep saying over and over and over again, we will continue to serve the Lord because we're not going back. This was their we're not going back moment. We are moving ahead because these people knew what it was like to live unfulfilled lives. They knew what it was like to live without purpose and meaning. They knew what it was like to chase after false gods that didn't satisfy. They knew what it was like to lay down at night and have that emptiness in their soul. They knew what it was like to live without God. And they weren't going back. And I wonder, do we have the same attitude today? Because over the past two years, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but this past week was the anniversary of when the world shut down because of COVID. And for the past two years, we have been through a whole lot. We have experienced things that we never thought we would experience. We have faced things we never thought we would face. We've had a lot of challenges and a whole lot of difficulties. And you know, if you were like me, Two years ago, when all this first came out, I thought, okay, we'll go online and do church for two weeks, and everything will get back to normal after that. <laughs> we'll do this stuff for a couple weeks, and then it was, well, we'll do this stuff until Easter, and then we'll do this stuff until, I don't know, summer, and then we'll do it until fall, and then Christmas, and then surely by 2021, everything will be back to normal again, right? That's what we kept telling ourselves. And then somewhere along the way, it hit us. I don't think things will ever be exactly the way they used to be. And in some ways that might be bad. But in other ways I think it might be really good. Especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. Because when I look back at the spiritual state of our country two years ago. Of our community. Of our church and for that matter of my life. I'm not sure if what we consider to be normal was working. And God has allowed for us to go through this, I believe, to wake us up. And maybe instead of a return to normal, maybe God is giving us a chance to embrace a better normal. A better normal. Yeah, you can applaud for that. A better normal where we're not putting our hope in the wrong things. Because 
I realized it, and probably you did too, that so many people were putting their hope and finding their identities in the wrong things. We were putting our hope in our jobs and our careers and our bank accounts and our achievements and accolades, our freedoms. We were putting our hope in people and politics and public figures. We were trying to find our identity in science and medicine and our stuff and our popularity, our status, you name it. And none of those things in and of themselves are evil or wicked or bad, but they make horrible gods and they will not satisfy satisfy you eternally. They will not bring you what your soul is looking for. Only God can bring you what your heart is longing for. And maybe what these past two years have done has allowed you to realize that God is leading us into something new, something better. And I believe that this is our never going back moment. We have a choice today to make. Are we going to go back to the old life we had two years ago, spiritually speaking? Or are we going to embrace this better normal that God has given us? Because here's the thing. If God hasn't gotten your attention over the past two years, I don't know what it's going to take. So what are you waiting for? What is it that you're still hanging on to that you need to let go of so that you can embrace a better normal, the life that God wants you to live? Because God is calling us into something new, something deeper, something better. He's calling us not just to be interested in his mission, but to be invested in it. He's calling us not just to learn about his son, but to live for his son. He's calling us not just to sit, but to serve, not just to consume, but to contribute, not just to settle for what's good enough, but to embrace the greatness that he has planned out for us. Guys, this is our moment. And the question is not, does the church have a mission? You can read through the New Testament. The church definitely has a mission. The question is, does God's mission have a church? Does God's mission have a church that's going to embrace it? And live it out. Because until Jesus comes back, God's Spirit will never look at His people and say, That's enough. You've done enough. Time to slow down. You don't need to go any further. You see, when expansion is no longer our goal, extinction is inevitable. And it's not that there aren't going to be challenges ahead. But people of courage are those who see the fear in front of them. They realize, they don't ignore it, but they place their confidence in God in the face of fear. It's not that we act like that there's nothing to fear. Oh, there's stuff to fear, but we place our confidence in God in the midst of that fear. The past two years have been tough for all of us. And I have experienced some things in ministry that I never thought I would experience. There was no class in Bible college or seminary about how to lead a church through a pandemic. That class wasn't offered, okay? And so there have been some tough moments. There have been moments when I felt as if that as a church we've been up against a wall. There have been moments when I felt as if we've been facing giants. There have been moments where personally I have felt unsure of myself. And I've been anxious. And I've been looking at the Jordan River at times thinking, I don't know how we're going to cross it. And maybe you felt that way too. But somewhere along the way when it hit me that 
maybe things aren't going to go back to normal. I started to reread one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And I read the book of Revelation not for the reasons that some people do. I love the book of Revelation because I believe it's the most encouraging book in all the Bible. See, Revelation was written by the Apostle John who received a vision from Jesus. It was written to Christians in the first century world who were suffering, who were being persecuted because Rome ruled the world and Rome was becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. So Christians were dying, they were being exiled, they were losing their homes and their jobs, all because they had faith in Jesus. And the church was suffering, and by all outward appearances, it looked as if in John's day that evil was winning, that Satan was winning. So John receives the book of Revelation not to scare anybody. If you read the book of Revelation and you get scared, you're reading it through the wrong lens. Because the people in the first century world, they were already experiencing persecution and suffering, unlike anything we've ever experienced. No, it was to encourage them, to remind them that no matter what, Jesus wins. And here's the thing. As I was reading back through the book of Revelation, I came to Revelation 4. And in this moment, John is taken up into the throne room of heaven where he sees this heavenly worship service going on. And what's interesting is John is just awestruck by everything that he's seeing. But then at one point he notices that the one sitting on the throne, God, is holding a scroll. It's a scroll that is writing on both sides of it, but it's sealed up. It can't be opened. And there's no one in the throne room of God who is able to open up this scroll. And this scroll represents God's decreed plan to rescue the world. This is his salvation plan to rescue the world. And John starts to cry and weep in this moment because God has a plan to save the world, but it looks like there's nobody who can carry it out. And so John gets depressed because that's what he's seeing daily. He's seeing evil all around him when... And as John is crying, one of the heavenly figures taps him on the shoulder and says, Don't weep, because it's still someone you haven't met yet in the throne room. And that's the Lion of Judah. It's Jesus. The Lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll to carry out God's plan. And here's the thing, in this day and age, the lion was a symbol of strength and might and power. In fact, Rome, the Roman Empire, used the lion as one of its symbols to demonstrate its strength and authority and power. Kind of like how we have symbols today in our country. We have the bald eagle that represents you know, freedom. They used the lion as a power of strength. And so John turns to see the lion of Judah who's going to be able to stand up to the lion of Rome and the, lion, the lions of this world that are evil. And then we see this line. John says, when he turned, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne. And everybody starts to shout out, the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. What's interesting is John turns expecting to see a lion. We have all this buildup expecting for him to see this mighty lion that's going to go toe-to-toe with the evils of this world. And he turns, and what does he see? A lamb. Not really a symbol of strength, but not only is it a lamb, it's a lamb that's been slaughtered. 
It's a lamb that's been slain, but here's the thing. This lamb that's been slaughtered is alive. And what's going on here? God is letting John and the church, letting all of us know he's going to win this thing. But he's not going to win it on our terms. He's not going to win it in the way that we might expect. God's going to win this thing and he's never going to have to fire a shot. God's going to win this thing and he doesn't need tanks. He doesn't need militaries. He doesn't need all of our strategy. God's going to win this thing and he's going to win it on his terms. He's going to win it with the self-sacrificial love of the Lamb. Because a kingdom that is ruled by the sword is a fifth-rate kingdom, but a kingdom that rules men's hearts is a first-rate kingdom. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that God so loved the world that he wanted to usher in World War III. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for you and for me. And I remember, as I read that verse... I thought, it looks as if things are bad. But as long as I keep my eyes on the Lamb, I can march forward from victory. Because the Lamb who was slain rose again. And He will carry out God's plan. And so my wife made me a sign that I have hanging up in my office above my door. Then I saw a Lamb. To remember that every time I look around and I see evil and I see wickedness and I see walls and I see giants. To take my eyes off of those things and to look to the Lamb. Because He is worthy to carry out God's plan. And guys, if we will continue to look to the Lamb and not get distracted. And not get caught up in criticisms and complaining. Not get carried away by things that don't matter. Not choose caution over mission then I believe God is going to bring us a victory in our generation like we have never seen before. This is our never going back moment. And so the question that I want to ask you is the same question that Joshua asked the people all those years ago. Who are you going to look to? Who are you going to serve? You can serve the gods that are all around you if you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to look to the Lamb. And we know that when we look to Him, walls come crumbling down. Giants are defeated. The sun stands still. God's people are victorious. And so, what do you need to let go of so that you can serve the Lord today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we will always be a people who choose to serve you, to live with courageous faith. And we know where that courage comes from. It comes from the Lamb, your Son, who was slain, who is alive today, and who is empowering his church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.